Well, good morning, church. Today is the last message in this series called My Makeover. And the idea that we've had in this whole series is that you don't have to stay the way that you are. Because of God's grace and God's power, uh, you can change in your life. You don't have to go through life just simply wishing you could be different. You can experience a makeover. Uh, that's the offer, the offer that God makes to every person. That's the invitation that He gives to all of us. That you can experience a makeover. You see, the key to a new life, listen to this. The key to a new life is not trying to stop the sin. The key to a new life is to allow God to change the sinner. That's what brings about a makeover. That's what brings about the change that you want and that you need. Now, if there was ever any person who could say, I, I'm not who I once was. It was a guy that we're going to talk about today, and his name was Saul. Now, it's interesting that whenever Saul told his story, he always pointed back to a particular day, to a particular place, to a particular time when things changed in his life. Saul was a Jew. But for the first time, when you see him in Scripture... He doesn't look like a Jew. He looks more like a terrorist when you see him the first time in Scripture. You see, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is being stoned to death. Stephen was the first Christian, first one martyred for his faith. And, and in Acts chapter 7, he literally is being stoned to death. And as he lay there in a pool of his own blood in the streets of Jerusalem, here's what the Scripture says. First time we're introduced to Paul, or to Saul rather. Here's what the Scripture says about Saul. Chapter 8, verse 1, look at this. Saul was right there congratulating the killers. The first time we see Saul in Scripture, it was Acts chapter, the end of Acts chapter 7, beginning in Acts chapter 8, and here he is, he's standing there looking at the bloodied, beaten, dead body of Stephen, and Saul is excited about what he sees, and he congratulates, according to the message translation, he is congratulating the killers. And then in 1 Timothy, Saul later gave this perspective of his life. Look what he says. I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. That's how he that's not the way others described it. That's the way he described his life. That I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. You see, Saul absolutely hated Jesus because he was a threat to his Jewish faith. Look at this text, Acts 26, 9. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul hated Jesus so much. Saul hated Jesus so much that he wanted to rid the world of the followers of Jesus. Look at these scriptures here. Chapter 9 of Acts, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He not only hated Jesus, he hated anybody associated with Jesus. He hated everyone who claimed the name of Jesus. And so he was committing himself to eradicate the world of these Jesus followers. Look what it says here. I won't have to read it in my nose. I can't see that without my glasses. Could you all turn down this a little bit? Maybe it's just the monitors. It seems hot up here. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, 
I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession, look at that word. Saul says, this was an obsession with me. Killing Christians was an obsession with me. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Now let that last sentence sink in for a moment. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities, plural, not just one. This is something he did again and again. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Some people's lives are just filled with the poison of hatred. Some people's lives, maybe you know people like this, they're just controlled by the power of hatred. And that was Saul. By his own admission, he was an angry, bitter, violent man. Now, I want to tell you another story. This is a story about a man named Paul. Though their names sound familiar, Paul and Saul were nothing alike. In fact, I want to show you this on on the screen. Uh, Paul, for example, was a Christian. He he believed in Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. He had surrendered his life to Jesus. Uh, Saul hated Christians. Paul was one. Not only that, Paul was a missionary. This means that he not only loved Jesus so much that he had experienced salvation, he wanted others to experience what he had. He wanted others to be convinced that Jesus is the answer they were looking for. So he dedicated his life. He was a missionary. He traveled all over the world telling people about Jesus. Not only that, Paul was a church planter. He was a pastor. He planted churches in almost every city that he went to. He would lead people to faith in Christ. He would disciple them about what it means to be a follower of Christ. He would start a church, and then he'd move on to another city. And, and then look at this next one. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. That Bible you're holding in your hand, Paul wrote 13 of those letters, 13 of the 27 letters. Paul wrote those. That's how much he believed in Jesus. And finally... Even to this day, he is revered by Christians everywhere. Now, here's what I want you to get. Everybody watch this. Listen to this. Paul was everything that Saul hated. Paul was everything that Saul hated. Which is fascinating because Paul and Saul were the same person. Now, for a lot of you, that's not new information. You knew where I was heading with this. But for some of you, you're new to church, you're new to the Bible. It's like, you've lost me. Well, Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Roman name. And if you're one of those people, you haven't grown up in church, you haven't grown up reading the Bible, if you've never heard this story before, let me say to you, you have every right to be confused. Because when you look at Saul... You look at a man who was angry and bitter and violent and murderous. But when you look at Paul, you look at a man who is a Christian, a missionary, a church planner, wrote 13 books in the New Testament and is revered by people all over the world today. So if you're not used to this story, if this is new information for you, you have every right to be confused about how could that be the same person? 
In fact, this would be a good time to read Galatians 1.20. Look at it on the screen. Paul says, I love this. Paul says, I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. He says, I know this sounds strange. I know this sounds almost unbelievable. I know this story sounds like I'm making it up. But I assure you before God that what I'm writing is no lie. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. Listen to this. This is so key. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what you call that? That's a makeover. That is a makeover. We would be hard-pressed to find another example, either in Scripture or in 2016, where there was such a radical and a rapid change in the life of an individual. But is it possible that that's more than just a story? Is it possible that perhaps God brought you here today to convince you that your life can change too? Is it possible that God brought you here today so that you could hear what he did in Paul's life and Saul's life so that you recognize that you can have a makeover? You can have a new beginning. Your life can be radically and rapidly different. You need to understand something. Not all moments in life are the same, are they? Many moments in life are very mundane. I don't know about what you did yesterday, but... I was at a community yard sale for a good part of the day. Uh, my wife went, I went to help her and support her, and I just want you to know there was nothing blessed or glorious that happened in my life yesterday morning. Many times in life it's like that, right? There was, it's just an ordinary day. Most moments in our lives probably are, are ordinary moments, but then there are moments when miracles happen. There are moments when life changes forever. Now the story of how that all happened for Saul is found in Acts chapter 22. I hope you want to read it by now. It's found in the book of Acts chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 3 through 10. As you're turning, I'll give you the, the, the context here. Paul is writing this later in life, and he's giving his testimony. He's writing about a time when he stood before a crowd in Jerusalem, and these people had falsely accused him of defiling the temple. This was not long after his conversion, and, and now he's back in Jerusalem, and they believe that these Jews believe that he has defiled the temple. And they want him arrested, they want him punished, they want him beaten. And perhaps even killed. And so we pick up the story in uh, chapter 22, beginning in verse 3. Uh, then Paul said, verse 3, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought, brought up in this city, that is here in Jerusalem. Brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way, that is, the followers of Christ. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. 
arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. Paul would say, listen, 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 listen. If you don't believe that I used to be what you are, then ask those guys up there on the platform. Ask those guys in the long robes and the long hair and these guys of prominence. You can ask them. They know me. I grew up in this city. And if you don't believe what I'm telling you, if you don't believe the change that I'm going to tell you about, then you need to ask those guys on the platform because they know me. Go ask them. And then we'll keep reading. He says, verse 5, I even obtained letters from them, those guys up there on the platform, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people, that is Christians, these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. And all of the Jews listening to this probably under their breath are saying, that's right, amen, hallelujah, that's what he should have been doing all along. Bringing these people back to Jerusalem to be punished. But then the story begins to change. He says in verse 6, About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked this question in verse 8. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the answer had to hit him like a ton of bricks. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Chuck Swindoll said there must have been several seconds of deafening silence as Saul let in the wonder of what he was hearing. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. And Chuck Swindoll said, once the wonder of it all set in, he never stopped believing in Jesus from that moment. I don't know, this, this is not in Scripture, this is just my speculation, but I believe there's a pretty good chance that for the next several days, he probably just was shaking his head a lot. Just shaking his head in wonder and amazement. Shaking his head in almost disbelief. He used to think Christians were crazy. He used to think Christians were deceived. He used to think that Jesus was dead. And now he was convinced that Jesus was alive and that he is Lord. He had to, for a few days, just shake his head and kind of chuckle. You see, here's what happened to him. His mind... Did a complete turnaround. And don't miss that. His mind did a complete turnaround. Has your mind ever experienced a complete turnaround? Uh, Perhaps some of you are here today and you you think that Christians are weak. Uh, Maybe perhaps you think that they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And I'm not even sure why you're here, but somebody convinced you if you'd come, they'd buy you lunch or whatever. I don't know. Maybe you came to meet a girl. I don't know. But you're here today. But deep down inside, you don't believe this stuff. Deep down inside, you believe Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, that the Bible was written by men to deceive other people and control them. Jesus perhaps was a good man, was perhaps a good teacher, but nothing more than that. You have your mind made up. I once talked to a man in... Lenore, North Carolina, named Carol, who was 
who gave me all of those reasons I just gave you. See, those things that I just quoted for you were not speculation. He said those things to me. He told me that Christians were weak. He told me how Christians in my church were a bunch of hypocrites. He told me that Jesus was real, that he was a good teacher, he was a real man, but that was all that he was, a man. He told me that the Bible was written by people to control other people. He had it all figured out. His mind was made up. Now, Carol had a brother that loved him dearly, and his brother Curtis talked to Carol about Jesus, but his mind was closed. His mind was made up. Carol had a wife named Mary who also was a follower of Christ. She tried to speak to Carol, but his mind was made up. Carol had a relative named John who was a godly man who was one of my, uh, one of my dear friends in that church. And, and John talked to Carol, and, and Carol didn't, wouldn't listen to him. His mind was made up. I went to Carol's house, and I sat in his basement on more than one occasion. I tried to explain to him as best as I could who Jesus is and why the Bible is trustworthy. I tried as best as I could to explain it all to him. But his mind was made up. Nothing could change his mind. But listen to me. Are you listening? Listen to me. God can do what we can't. God can absolutely do what we can't. You see, years later, after I came to be your pastor, years later, one day late in life, Carol experienced one of those life-changing moments And he changed his mind about Jesus. And instead of rejecting him, he received him as his Savior. And I've come today to tell you that you can do that too. You can change your mind about Jesus. But don't miss this. Jesus met Saul on the road to Damascus with hatred in his heart. Saul was on his On his way to persecute Christians, he was filled with hatred. And that is where Jesus met him. Isn't that amazing? Saul didn't meet Jesus in church. He didn't meet Jesus, uh, you know, because he was trying to do good things. Saul met Jesus on a road going to persecute Christians with hatred in his heart. It amazes me how God always meets us where we are. For some of you, God met you when your life was broken, and you were wounded, you were hurt. For others of you, God met some of you when your lives were young, and you've known Christ for a long time. Or perhaps God met some of you when your life was empty. Perhaps God met you in a tragedy, destroyed you and your family, and God met you in the middle of that mess. Or maybe God confronted some of you when your life was in turmoil and and your marriage was falling apart, but that's where God met you, was in the middle of that mess. Or God met some of you perhaps in a hospital room, or maybe in a jail cell. Or some of you perhaps met Christ in a living room or your bedroom. Maybe you met Him here at church. Maybe you met Him sitting in your car all alone. We don't all come to Jesus the same way because we come to Him at different ages, at different stages in life. But here's the thing I love about God. God meets us right where we are. But He loves us too much to leave us right where we are. He met Saul right where he was. Hatred in his heart. A bitter, evil man. And that's where God met him. But that's not where God left him. You see, God meets you where you are too. 
But here's one thing I want you to hear and hear me well. One thing I want you to remember is this. God has a different plan for your life than you do. He really does. God has a different plan for your life than you do. You see, Saul was on his way to Damascus. He had a plan. He had devised an aggressive plan to storm the city, capture the Christians, and drag those infidels back to Jerusalem. But thankfully, God had a different plan. Read about it here with me in chapter 22 of Acts, uh, looking at verse 9. Chapter 22, verse 9. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Verse 10. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. You need to understand something. For more than three decades, Saul controlled his own life and was writing his own story. For more than three decades, uh, his record in Judaism was second to none. In fact, he was on his way to make a greater name for himself when he was heading to Damascus. His intent was to make a greater name for himself. Up until that moment, here's what I need you to understand, up until that very moment, Saul did anything he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. Everything was dictated by his mind and his will. He was in charge of him. And all that changed in an instant. All of that changed in the miracle of a moment. All of that changed when Saul asked a life-changing, life-shaping question. It was just five words. A very short prayer, if you will. Look at it on the screen. What shall I do, Lord? He had never asked that question before. That question had never gone into his mind, much less out of his mouth. He never wanted anything to do with Jesus. He never had any intention of doing anything for Jesus. But in that moment, that lifelong battle that Saul had fought, he surrendered to Jesus Christ and he went to Damascus, a changed man. You see, on that road to Damascus, something extremely important happened. And it wasn't the bright light. And it wasn't even the conversation that he had with the resurrected Lord. The most important thing that happened on that road to Damascus was these words you see on the screen. What shall I do? Lord, for some of you here today, the problem that you're having is not your sin. The biggest problem that you're having is yourself. You're just too afraid or too proud or too stubborn to surrender. It's just like Saul. For at least three decades of his life, he was a very proud man. He, he was too proud to surrender to Jesus Christ. He was too stubborn to surrender to Jesus Christ. God had a different plan for his life, but he wasn't ready for it until, until that moment when he said this prayer, and this was the prayer that changed everything. This was the prayer that made the difference in his life. You see, 
when your life is not what it could be or not what it should be, there is a prayer that brings about real change. What shall I do, Lord? That's not the most eloquent prayer you've ever prayed, I'm sure. Certainly, it's not the longest prayer you've ever prayed. But I would say to you, that's probably the most important prayer you could ever pray. What shall I do, Lord? Because in those five words, Saul suddenly recognized something. In those five words, it reveals that he recognized Jesus is real, and I must obey Him. In those five words, Saul suddenly displayed a willingness to surrender to the man he once hated. For the first time in his life, he was no longer in charge of his life. For the first time in his life, he was ready to serve and to follow Jesus. What shall I do? Lord, imagine how your life would be better. Imagine how your life would be different if you did that. What could change in your life if you prayed that prayer and meant it? You see, the life that you want but you can't find is found when you surrender yourself and your future to Jesus. The life that you want but can't but but you can't find is found when you say from all with all of your heart, what shall I do, Lord? That's the prayer that changes us. I believe God has the power to change your life. In fact, I know God has the power to change your life. But He's waiting on you to admit that you need Him to do it. Perhaps for the very first time, you need to pray this prayer today. Like Saul did on the road to Damascus. And your life can be radically changed. Lord, what is it you want me to do? I, I am surrendering to you. You know what, he was, what Saul was showing when he prayed that prayer, when he asked that question? You know what he was showing? He was simply saying this. The focus of my life will now be Jesus. That's what made the difference. The focus of his life became Jesus. That's why he asked this question. What shall I do, Lord? The focus of his life changed. The focus of his life was no longer Saul. The focus of his life was now Jesus. So he asked that penetrating, life-changing question. What shall I do, Lord? He had never asked that question before. I wonder how your life would be different if you asked that question. And you really meant it. I wonder how your life would change if perhaps for the first time in your life you, you surrendered. For the first time in your life you said, okay, Jesus, I'll let you be the focus of my life. Or for some of you, many of you, you're, you're Christians, you've been a Christian for a long time, and this is not a new story, it's not new information, except Christian, it might be that for some of you, your life has become stale. And, and perhaps it's, things are old and, you know, you're going through the motions, you're in the habit and you still come, but, but everything's kind of dead. And, and, and then it, things are starting to get a little worse along the edges of your life. Along the edges of your life, things are starting to get frayed a little bit. And, 
And you're wondering, what do I need to do to get things back together? What do I need to do to get my family back together? What do I need to do to get my marriage back in shape? What do I need to do to get me back in shape? And it might be that over the next seven days or so, you might start here with five words that brings about real change. What should I do today, Lord? I wonder how your life would be different, Christian, if you just decided tomorrow morning, that's the way you'd start your day. And when you pray the prayer, it's not just words coming out of your mouth, but when you pray the prayer, there's a, will, a willingness and a readiness to say, Lord, if you'll show me, I'll do it. The focus of my life today is going to be Jesus. So what shall I do, Lord? Lord, you know all about me. You know the situation I'm in. You know the, the, the condition that, that our home is in. You know everything about us. And, and so, Lord, today, I can't promise you next year, I can't promise you I'll move to Africa, but today, what? shall I do, Lord? And if every day, each day, that became your focus, if every day, each day, Jesus became your focus, you'd start to see the change you want and the change you need. Yeah, the Bible calls it returning to your first love. Simply going back to Christ and saying what you used to say back there when you first came to Christ. What shall I do, Lord? What, what is it you want me to do today, Lord? You did that in the early days as you walked with Christ. Maybe it's time to do it again. I don't know about your life. I don't know where you are. Maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time. You need to pray this prayer today. What shall I do? You know, here's the problem though. Some of you don't want to pray the prayer because you already know the answer. You know what, he's, what he would point to. You know what he would tell you. And you don't want to do what he says. That's the reason you haven't done it. That's the reason you've, you've kind of run from it. And that's the reason your heart has gotten hard. That's the reason your life has gotten worse. Because Jesus is no longer the center of your life. You are the center of your life. You know what he wants you to do, but you keep saying no. You're living in rebellion. You're, you're, you're being stubborn in your walk with God. And you're rejecting what he's telling you to do. And you don't want to pray this prayer because you know exactly what he would tell you to do. And you've been for weeks or months, maybe even years, saying no, not but oh, how life would change. Oh, how your heart would be different. Oh, how things would change around you if each day you began the day saying, what shall I do, Lord? And the focus of your life became Jesus again. And that is when real change occurs. When the focus of your life becomes Jesus Either the first time or the first time in a long time. Let's pray about that. In this time of commitment, this time of invitation, I want to ask you to make that your heart commitment. And it might be that uh, for the first time you'd like to
pray and ask Christ to, your, to be your Lord and your Savior. Surrender your life to Him because you're kind of like Saul. Uh, you're hard-hearted, you're angry, you're bitter, you're struggling. And God brought you here today because He wanted to say, Hey, listen, I've done this before. I've changed people like you before. And in fact, I've not only changed them, but I used them for my glory. And if you'll let me, I'll do that for you. If you'd like to receive Christ today, would you come as soon as we stand up? Would you come and put your hand in my hand as a preacher? I, I, I want to receive Christ by faith, trusting in Him alone today for my salvation. That's the thing He's telling you to do right now. That's your first step. Others, Christians, maybe that you need to come back to your first love and pray those simple five words and say, Lord, I really mean it. And each day I'm going to try to say it and mean it. What shall I do, Lord? What are you pointing to? What's your desire for my life? I want to go back to where I've been in my walk with you. What shall I do today? Just respond. Just obey. I was having lunch with a man not too long ago, a week or two ago, and he said, you know what? It's been a long time since I've heard anybody in a church service on a regular basis. It's been a long time since I've heard anybody say, maybe God's calling you to surrender your life to full-time Christian ministry. When he said that, he was not being critical. He was making an observation. But when he said it, it pierced my heart. Because I began to think about when I was growing up, I used to hear that. I became aware that God could use me when I was 17. I said, yes. So I'm going to just offer that call to you today. As you pray this prayer, what shall I do, Lord? Maybe God's calling you to full-time Christian ministry. Maybe the reason life is frayed around the edges is because you've been running from that call and rejecting that call. Maybe today you just need to say yes. From this day on, the focus of my life will be Jesus, Him alone. So, Father, in the name that is above every name, have your way in this time of invitation, and may you be honored, may you be glorified, and may lives be changed. I pray that in Christ's name.